preach this morning's sermon again. Amen. We're going to talk tonight, and uh, guys, if you'll record this, we'll add this as part two of this morning. But God has just been uh, working on me, and as uh, I was studying for this morning's message, I had another that just came out, and I was like, I can't preach two messages in one Sunday morning. They won't have me back, you know, that next week. But tonight, I'm excited for this. this. But let's pray. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 29. That's not Corinthians. That's Chronicles. That's Old Testament. Second Chronicles chapter 29. All right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray you be with us in the Word tonight. I pray, Lord, it's, I know it's for these that are here tonight. But, God, I know it's for so much more. Uh, God, and I pray, Lord, that you would just anoint it, that it would not just stay with us, but it would just saturate us so much, and it would light like a wildfire, God, to take out from us and into our church and into this community. God, that you are so eager to see your church have revival, that, Lord, we would see souls saved, because, God, you are so soon returning. And I pray we'd be stirred uh, by your word, and in, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, be the church. That's what we've been talking about lately. And I want us to talk a little bit more about the temple of God and being the temple of God. And uh, tonight, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 says this while you're there in your Second Chronicles. But Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, we kind of read it this morning. But it says, What harmony has Christ with Satan? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God had said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Now we talked this morning about that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and And while there are no longer any rules, because Jesus fulfills all the ceremonial laws, uh, we die to the law, and there's no more do not touch, do not uh, taste, do not, and all that kind of stuff, what you put in the body, but it's what comes out of you, that in the temple of God, uh, the glory of God comes out of the temple, that in us, instead of worrying about all the rules of religiosity, now we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us as we become that place, that that place was the holies of holies, the dwelling place, the tent of meeting where man and God got to meet. And now you and I can meet God on any day, on any street corner, in any bedroom and, and, and dwell with God in the very presence of the holy of holies because the blood of Jesus is so powerful. It's so atoning. It's so overwhelming that it covers all of our sin once and for all time. And that's just amazing. To think that the Holy of Holies, that place where, uh, you know, there was a guy that when the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off the trailer, he touched it. And just touching it, he dropped dead. That place is now in you. You know, I don't go throughout my day really just remembering that. When I watch what I watch on TV, I don't really just think, man, this is coming into the Holy of Holies. Or when I say things and I you know, have an off-color moment or you have a, a joke or, you know, someone steps on your toes or whatever and that comes out of you, well, that's coming out of the Holy of Holies. And so that kind of reminds us how defiled sometimes our temple is. Now, we're saved. Don't get me wrong. We're saved. 
but we want to be sanctified too. And it's not about just turning off the rated R movies. It's not just about stopping cussing or drinking or having sex outside of marriage. It's a heart issue where I want my heart to be continually transformed into the heart of Jesus. That what comes out of me is just the glory of God. And I'm going to work on that until the day I die. All right? Okay, and so I want to talk about tonight, we're going to talk about Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, I'm going to give you some background here. But holiness, though, and let me preface this before we get into this. But holiness, I said this morning, is belonging to God. Holiness means being set apart for His purposes. It means being purified from evil and separated from ordinary worldly use to be consecrated to His service and conformed to His will. Mostly that last part. Holiness is consecrated to His service and conformed to His will. I want my life to be in the service of God, set apart, that Heath Harris no longer does what Heath Harris wants to do, but I'm set apart for the glory and purpose and service of God, that God can look and say, when I'm ready to use Him, He's ready. What I want to do with Him, I can do with Him, because I know He's just sitting right there looking at me saying, yes, yes, sir, whatever you want to do, sir, let's do it. And that's what we want our lives to be like. And He doesn't have to say, shh, stop saying that. Or You know what I'm saying? He doesn't have to stop me and say, whoa, 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 rein you in. That's that's holiness. Holiness is that we are just there, available, ready, a good vessel for the use of God. And that's changed our definition of holiness and what this culture and this community says. Holiness is that you are useful and set apart for God. All right? Okay, so let's look at me. Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and 30. That's kind of where we are tonight. But we're going to talk about cleansing the temple. Cleansing the temple. And this, this is really about Hezekiah's revival. Hezekiah was, his name he means God strengthened. And Hezekiah, he was the son of Ahaz, who was the king of Judah. Now let me give you a little bit of background on Ahaz. Ahaz was a bad dude. And we're not going to go into all the history, but at the end of his life, pretty much we understand that Ahaz had uh, seen that God, he had rebelled against God so much and that he was losing against the enemy so much and, and Assyria and all these different people that he assumed because... These guys were winning. Well, probably, maybe their gods are more powerful. If I'm, if I'm losing and their, their gods are winning, then so I'm going to just go all in for their gods. So he, when he was already in rebellion, God left him. And all these enemies came and started attacking him. And so he's like, well, they're all winning. So I'm going to just begin to go after their gods. So he shuts the temple doors, puts out the temple lights, piles in pagan stuff inside of it, destroys artifacts in the temple... And then he tells everybody to put up pagan stuff everywhere across the entire country and all over Jerusalem. I mean, this is a bad day. And he says, we're going to worship these gods. And I don't see any, I don't want to see anybody worshiping the Lord, the God of Jerusalem, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because he's left us. He's not working anymore. The other gods, they're the ones that are winning out there in the world. Now, if is that not like the world today, that you say, well, if they're already rebelling against God, but when, they, when that, that prick in their heart comes or they see that other things work better or they feel like the world system works, they just go headlong for it. Just headlong into sin. Highway to hell, it talks about. You know, we, we sing songs about. But that's Ahaz, and that's his dad. But at 25 years old, his father dies. He, Hezekiah comes to the throne. And Hezekiah reigns for 29 years, and he is remembered as one of the greatest kings of Judah, of Israel. Now, Israel's in two parts at this moment. So there's two kingdoms of Israel. There's the northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. And he reigns over the southern kingdom, Judah. 
And he's listed as one of the greatest kings that ever reigned. All right? Why is that? I'm going to look at this a little bit, okay? Look at Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3. His father had done evil, forsaken the dwelling place of God. They've shut the temple doors, put out the lamps, and, and, and the wrath of God's over, okay? People fallen by the sword. Families are taken into captivity. But here's this 25-year-old dude. He is loyal to God, and he is going to push people back to the altar. Now watch this. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3. I'm reading the New American Standard. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he, Hezekiah, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. How awesome is that? He got his hands dirty. He repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them into the square on the east. And he said to them, now, now these guys hadn't been working for a long time now, right? And so he says, then listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves now. That means set yourselves apart for the purpose of God now and consecrate the house of the Lord. Set it apart. For the God of your fathers and carry the uncleanliness out from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done evil in the sight of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and turned their faces away from the dwelling place. That's the tabernacle, the sanctuary of the Lord and have turned their backs. So Hezekiah, he abolishes idolatry from Judah. He closes down all these cult sites, these places. He bans all these idols. He uh, takes all these ritual places and the world had come in and said, well, these things are good. These things are good. These are what's sacred. These are what's holy in the world. What are those things today? What are the things in the world today that they say, this is good, this is holy, this is right, this is what we do? Hezekiah shows up and says, all right, guys, we're about to change some culture. We're about to get things shaken up in here. We're about to have some revival. He says, we're showing up to the house. I'm showing up to everybody's house. We are taking down all the things of the devil all the things of the enemy, and we're throwing them out of the house. We're going to start in the house of God first. We're going to start in the tabernacle first, the temple first. He says, you've got, you got to get ready because something's about to happen here. And he says, so he takes all the things that were sacred by the world and he destroys them. And he even takes the bronze serpent that Moses made. You guys remember this? In the wilderness, Moses makes this big serpent on a stick because the people were rebelling. And if they would look to that stick, which is a symbol of Jesus, right? They looked at that stick, that serpent, and they were being bitten by snakes and scorpions, and they looked at that be healed. They took what was meant to be a thing to remind them of who God was, and they began to worship even that image of the serpent. So Hezekiah even takes this thing that Moses himself makes, destroys it, burns it, throws it away. How many people know that golden calves in churches are bad, Right? When you begin to take something that God has given you, a blessing or a material possession or a person or a situation or a, a, a job or a circumstance, and you begin to glorify that thing more than God himself who gave it, that's the time that God's going to take it away or you need to get rid of it. Amen? That was weak. Amen? Amen. Right? We worship no thing, no person, no situation, but God himself and anything else that glorify, gets glory in our life except for God or is above God, those things got to go. And so he was willing to get rid of even holy objects if it was going to hinder their worship. We decided this pulpit hindered your worship. It's gone. We decided the paint color in here hindered your worship. It better go. I don't care what it is, if it's where we park or, or the color tie I wear. I don't, I don't wear a tie. But, you know, anything, whatever it is, if there's something in our life that even if it's a good thing, there's a lot of good things in the world today. There's a lot of good Christian things in the world today. 
But if it hinders your worship of God, it's got to go. Amen? All right, that, that was free. Okay, now look what happens. They begin to repent. Hezekiah, he tells these Levites, he says, all right, now carry out all these uncleanly things out of the holy place. I'm paraphrasing here below. They clean out the cobwebs out of the house of God. They clean the rust off the holy vessels. They uh, remove these idolatrous altars that were set up inside the very temple courtyard of God. And it takes them eight days to clean the temple and another eight days to clean the courtyard. How many people know that sometimes repentance is not just a raising of the hand, Right? It's not just a saying, I'm sorry. And sometimes we have got to get to the place with God where we are saying, God, I am ready for a change. I'm ready for a difference. I'm ready for something. What has been happening in my life has not been working. And I realize that there are too many worldly things in my heart, in my mind, in my mouth, in my life. And God, I am ready to get sanctified. I'm repenting of my sin. And so it took them 16 days to get ready to meet God. Now, we know if you confess with your mouth, the Bible says Jesus Christ hears you, forgives you of all your sin, cleanses you all in righteousness. But repentance is this process. The prodigal son had to walk halfway back home. It wasn't just he was over in the pagan place squandering his dad's money and said, Dad, I'm sorry, come and get me. He turned to his father, left the life, and started walking home and was willing to get down to his knees and be a servant to his father before any time before his father met him. He had already decided, I'm willing to lower myself before my father, you know, shut my mouth, swallow my pride, and go down. That's repentance. And this is a repentant time. You know that uh, Joel chapter 2 verse 12 says that we are to return to the Lord with all of your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Uh, even James chapter 4, verse 9 says that we should grieve, mourn, and wail. You know, great American revivalists like Charles Finney and Smith Wigglesworth and all these guys often really did not believe a person had fully repented until they shed some tears. Because repentance has to reach the soul. It can't just be off the lips, off the tongue, or even a mental thing. It's got to be reaching to the depths of your soul. Repentance is a state of being, not just something you're saying, right? And so they spend 16 days purifying, getting, getting the temple ready. And sometimes, church, I think it's not just enough even though to lament and to cry because I know some great preachers and pastors and, and churches that just love to wail, love to cry. And that's great, but it can't even end there. It's not just about the crying or the lamenting or the, or the fasting. It's getting to a place where we turn away from our sin, recognize our guilt before God, and God gets to go deep into our hearts. We give up complete ownership. He gets to take off the cobwebs, take out the rust, sweep out His house clean, and realize because you are now about to become a temple of the indwelling place of the very holy of holies inside of you. There is no room in our hearts for anything unclean. There is no room for me to say, well, I like to tell those jokes or I like to say those words or I like to feel that way or I hold on to that depression or that unforgiveness or I hold on to that anger or that gossip or that slander or, or the things that I like to watch, the things that I like to do. I don't get to change or decide or anything anymore. I'm about to be a vessel for God's possession. That's right. That's the level of salvation that's going to make heaven. Be honest. 
It's, it's, a, it's a depth of I belong to Jesus. I belong to Him. So it's going deep in our hearts, letting God clean us from the inside. That's repentance. All right, now look with me. Look in, go down to verse 27, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 27. So they had the repentance part. Got it? Okay, so that's repentance, letting God sweep your house clean. All right, sweep His house clean because you're about to be the house of God. That's now, that's repentance. Let's talk about salvation. All right, look at this. Verse 27, you got your Bibles. Then Hezekiah, or if you don't, there's a one in the pew in front of you. Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song to the Lord also began. Man, that's awesome. Worship begins when sacrifice happens. Oh. And, and with the trumpets and accompanied by the instruments of David, the king of Israel, and while the whole assembly worshiped, the singers also sang, and the trumpets sounded. And all of this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Remember that. Now, at the completion of the burnt offerings, the king and all who were present bowed down and worshipped him. Moreover, King Hezekiah and all the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer, and they sang praises with joy and bowed down to worship. God's house had become desolate. God's house had become run down. And Hezekiah sets his heart upon pleasing God, and they begin to sanctify themselves at the altar. And they go up to the house of God, and they begin to make atonement for their sins, which means reparation, that at one moment that blood is spilt, and God cleanses them of all of their sins. So he then becomes to make... They make all these sacrifices to cleanse the temple, but then they get this one sacrifice of the burnt sacrifice. They lay their hands on these goats... Uh, and they, they, they put the sin, they lay the sin on those goats, and they're going to burn them to God as an aroma and offering, a pleasing sacrifice, right? You remember that verse in the New Testament? And so they begin to make the sin offering. Hezekiah, has, they've purified it, and the sin offering comes up, and it says that while they were making... Now, this is a lot of goats and bulls and rams and things they're done, right? It takes some time. You ever tried to burn an animal carcass? I have not. But if I'm sure it doesn't just happen in two seconds. It's got to burn up. Now, you're talking hundreds, okay, hundreds of animals. The entire time the offering is going up, the sacrifice is being made, they're worshiping God. I think there's something significant in that, is that they allowed God to do the work until it was finished. Sometimes I think it's kind of like, it's kind of like this. They worshipped until the offering was consumed. I want to get to the place where I say, God, I'm ready to be consumed by you, and I'm going to worship you until there's nothing left. Nothing left. They began to worship the blood of the Lamb until there was nothing left. Totally consumed. God, you've cleansed all of my sin. God, you've worked me on the inside out. And first, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says, Through the blood of Jesus, God has reconciled us to Himself, making peace through the blood of His cross, that there is no peace for sin except through the blood of Jesus. He becomes that new lamb, makes us holy and sanctifies and cleanses. And I think of it like this. In the church today, there are so many worldly influences coming into the church. We've got pastors preaching hyper grace we've got pastors preaching hyper hell we've got people uh man just a mess of stuff in our national pastors we've got denominations falling out left and right uh, to gay marriage major denominations even the united methodists right now entertaining a motion 
to accept uh, gay marriage as legal for the United Methodist. Second largest denomination in the United States is United Methodist. About they're voting on it in the next year. They had almost a split already. That's probably what's going to happen. They're going to split over that issue. I'm talking about we are in a day where the church looks just like the days of Ahaz and Hezekiah, where there is sin encroaching in the house of God. We may not see it here we like we visibly see it, but even in our hearts, we see teenage rebellion rising up. We see suicide rate. We see divorce rate. We see uh, anger. We see jealousy. We see church splits at a record level. In the history of the church, it is, it is a time and place where we want to not, we don't, we don't want to see it though. And the people in, in Hezekiah's day apparently were fine with the way things were. No one but him stood up. He was the one that approached them. But in this moment, they get to this altar, they cleanse it out, and the blood of the, blood of the lamb is slain, and they let it consume, or they let it get completely consumed, and they worship the entire time. I think if we were to say what we're talking about today is it's, it's, it's the day we live in is a day where we need to come back to the altar of our hearts, repent and receive the Holy Spirit and just begin to worship the blood of Jesus Christ like we've never worshipped Him before. I mean, that's really what it is. It's getting to a place where we come to this altar of our hearts, find our need to worship Him and realize that this is the guy who even kings and nations bow down to. Even it says, Hezekiah and the entire people bowed down before God. Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, right? Psalms. That even kings and nations bow before Him. They first repented and cleansed the temple. Number two, they got saved. That's the salvation. When they began to worship God because of the blood that cleansed them from sin. And they were willing to worship God until the entire process had begun. I think sometimes we go to the altar, we say, God, please save me, and we walk out. We've never let the process of worship come out of our hearts and just begin to get totally saved. Not just a little saved. Not just get into heaven by the skin of our teeth or just, you know, just barely get... But no, just letting God's... The whole, just worshiping the entire sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Just worshiping the entire time that God is working on you to reveal to you what He has done for you and who He is. And now let's go on. So that's the foundation of the temple. That's the beginning, okay? So Jesus Christ is the foundation. We repent. He's the foundation of the temple of the Holy Spirit in us. Now look at this. Revival began to happen. Look at Second Chronicles 29, verse 31. All right, ready? Verse 31. Somebody with me tonight? Somebody say amen. All right. We got uh, repentance, salvation, here comes sanctification. Hezekiah said, verse 31, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, you've set yourselves apart to the Lord. Now come near, bring sacrifices, thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all those who were willing brought burnt offerings. Somebody say willing. Willing. The number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. And they were burnt offerings to the Lord. Verse 33, and they consecrated these things were uh, 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. Man, that would have been a good barbecue, wouldn't it? That would have been smelling good up in there. All right. Uh, and, but these priests were too few. Too few priests. So they were unable to skin all the burnt offerings. Hey, all the deer hunters could be a priest. There you go. You've got to know how to skin an animal to be a priest. And it says their brothers, the Levites, had to help them till the work was complete until other priests had consecrated themselves. For the Levites were more conscientious to consecrate themselves in the priests. 
And there were also many burnt offerings with fat of the peace offerings and the and libations of the burnt offerings and the service of the house of the Lord was established again. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced over what God had prepared for the people because the thing came about suddenly. Now look at this. I'm going to give you four things to look at that pop out to me in this passage. Number one, it says they dedicated themselves to be worshipers. Get this. They had already got repented. They had already got saved by the blood of the Lamb. Or the blood of the, that, that, the blood that atoned for them, right? But then Hezekiah approached him and says, Come near to God and worship Him. Give a free will offering. And so it was the response to their salvation that they said, All right, guess what? I know I'm saved. I know God has saved us and we've cleansed the temple out. But I just want to give. They began to give sheep and goats and bulls and, and things to God. And they just showed up at the temple and there just began to be an, a chorus of people just began to free will offering to him. Just a, a, we call it a sacrifice of praise, you know, when we say those words. It just became something they wanted to do because of the salvation of God. Let me tell you, it's not enough just to be saved. It's something that began. That's the beginning. That's the foundation. But the response of the blood of Jesus is that you just want to show up and worship him of your heart that you become a worshiper. And, and you look at this, that when we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, we continue to grow. That temple becomes a dedicated place of worship, of sacrifice, of praise, and of prayer. And it doesn't end there. And Jesus says, hey, those who worship me now, worship me in spirit and in truth. It's that you take the presence of God with you everywhere you go, and you just become a worshiper. So that's number one. It wasn't just hey, we got saved and we went home. It, they got saved and they kept coming back and coming back and just giving to God. I love to give offerings to God. I love to give my time to God. I love to give my money to God. I love to give my talents to God. I love to give all that I have to the temple of God, to the people of God. That's what happens when you really get saved. Number two, it says, verse 31, they were willing God requires a willing sacrifice. Do you know that the bull that had to be slain in the temple, they would actually have a stick, from what I remember reading. They yeah, had a stick. You know, we have a carrot. We talk about the donkey and the carrot on the stick. They would lead that bull actually with a basket of grain that he would be a willing sacrifice all the way up to that altar. And they would slice his throat. God required Jesus to be a willing sacrifice. And God requires you and I to be a willing sacrifice. It's always been that way from the very beginning. And it says, verse 31, they were willing. They were willing to give up all they had to God. They were willing to worship. They were willing to show up and praise Him because they realized that apart from Him, it wasn't going so well. And they realized that they were under the wrath of God. Then they realized that they were now saved by the blood. And so they were willing to worship Him. You know what happens when I find out someone is not willing to worship, not willing to stand up, praise, worship, even not willing to jump or shout or scream or whatever. And you know, we all have different levels that we feel comfortable responding. But I had to come to the place where I asked myself, Heath, what wouldn't you do for God? Not would, would you do, what wouldn't you do? Then I know what levels of areas that i got to work on in my heart. Because that means I really don't love Him enough to do something if he asked me. He said, Heath, run around the church three times. 
I'd be like, ah, you know, or jump up and down or stand on your head, whatever. What wouldn't I do? Say, God, I am willing. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. And then likewise, don't be conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove what the will of God is. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Are we a willing sacrifice to bring more than is required? More than is required. Number three, it says it came about suddenly. You know what? Revival can come about suddenly. I'm praying for revival for this parish. I'm praying. My leadership team's praying for revival for this parish. And it says it came about suddenly. It overtook them. They began to worship God. They got, God, man, we realize what we did against you, God. We're saved. We sanctified the Lord. We're willing to worship you. And we're showing up and just giving everything we got to God. And it said revival just came suddenly. It just came about. They were overwhelmed by it. And, I, and I'm challenging us and our leadership and our church that, to realize, you know what? Revival is not about, we can't control revival. I can't make it happen. We can't orchestrate it. But what happens is revival begins at the place of repentance. It begins in prayer at the place of repentance. It's not about our control. You can't manufacture it, but you've got to be ready. It comes about suddenly. Number four, they were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed. Second Chronicles chapter 29 says they were overwhelmed by all the sacrifices. They didn't have enough priests to handle all the sacrifices coming. Wouldn't that be awesome if in this place... In the next several weeks, we were overwhelmed by all the lost people coming in here to worship God, that we couldn't even handle all the people in our kids' church and in our pews. We couldn't seat everybody in. And because we had sanctified ourselves first, we got our temples right, because that's what they did. They got the temple right first. We get our temples right. And then all of a sudden, they become overwhelmed by the move of God that begins to happen. And people just start showing up to give praise to God. You see, it first happens in us, and then it happens in them. We can't give somebody revival if we don't have it. You can't fan the flame in someone else if it ain't in you. It's got that start a fire in you. It's got to spread to somebody else. You can't give somebody something you don't have. And if the church don't have revival, sure enough, the world's not going to have it. Amen? And so they begin to consecrate themselves, and they were overwhelmed. You know what? Revival is messy but it's godly. Revival is messy, but it's godly. God is going to get us to a place where we don't have a clue what's going on. I ain't got a clue what's going on in his life, her life. I don't know how they're getting out of drugs. I don't know how they're even managing in their marriage, but you know what? God's working on all of it. It's not because they all show up at Pastor Heath's office because Lord knows I can't handle more than what I got right now. You know, uh, it's not because we've got a great team of leadership who's going to counsel you out of all of your programs. It's not because we're starting a 12 step program that's going to get you from point A to point B because the program's so awesome. No, it's because the presence of God is going to show up and radicalize some people's lives. It's because God himself is going to work out something that's going to say, look, you guys can't do this. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than sanctuary. It's bigger than life point. It's bigger than first Baptist. It's because it's God's job to win the lost. But it's our job to repent and to praise. And it says they were overwhelmed. They were overwhelmed. So many offerings that overwhelmed the priest. You know what happened? The priests had slacked off on their job for so long with their other king that they were not consecrated nor prepared. You had to be uh, at a certain place 
And you had to have a certain purity that had to happen. Certain rites and rituals had to happen before you could go up to the altar. And it says that so many people showed up with so many offerings at one time, the priests were not ready. There were people, there were, sorry, priests who could not serve in the service of the Lord in the revival that was happening. So the Levites, the ministers below them, had to help in their duties. Now, this was illegal. You could not do this. This was against the law. Levites could not do the altar. But what happened is that in revival, when God is getting the glory, you know what? Some pastors that aren't ready for revival are going to get passed by. Some leaders in churches, even in this parish and around the world, when God begins to move in revival, they're going to get passed by. They're going to, there's no pedigree. There's no qualification. God chose 12 uh, young little men who didn't know anything, some fishermen, a tax collector, and some prostitutes, and revolutionized the world. It's not about a pedigree or a four-year degree or ordination class. It's because the Holy Spirit begins to move on an individual and God begins to equip and qualify and He begins to move. And there may be a time where people even in this room say, God, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church leader. But when revival begins to happen, you know what? God might just need you to begin to use you to minister some broken, some messed up people. And He says, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to qualify you. And these Levites begin to do the work of the priests. I'm, when, people be, when God begins to move in revival in this parish, there are going to be so many messed up people showing up in our churches that it's going to overwhelm me. It's going to overwhelm my pastoral staff. It's going to overwhelm our leadership team. It's going to come down to the people of God who say, God, I'm a temple and of the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Give me John. Give me Susie. Give me, give me James. You give me Sally. And I'm going to begin to pray with them and work out them. And I'm going to help them take their offerings to God. And I'm going to help them get their sacrifice of praise to God. And I'm going to help them know what it means to cleanse the temple within them and show them how to live a holy and pleasing life. Because revival is messy, but it's godly. Revival is messy, but it's godly. Lord, help us to be a people that, God, you don't pass over. Because we're not ready for revival. Whew. And he goes on, look in chapter 30, verse 10. So they've got the repentance, they've got the salvation, and the sanctification comes where they are just in revival and God is moving in the holiness and people are just willing sacrifices and worshiping. And this is all just the people of God surrounding that little area. Mostly the priests and the Levites, okay? It's not the whole nation yet. It's just that little church, that little city, okay? Jerusalem. So they begin to witness. That's what happens when you revival, right? It explodes. Second Chronicles chapter 30, Hezekiah, he sends out couriers with flyers to tell the nation to repent and to return to the Lord. I mean, that's the first evangelistic tracks ever made. I don't know right there. The circuit riders or something. They go out there with those little tracks, their CD cassette tapes. I don't know what it was. And they told them to repent of their sin, verse 7 through 9. Repent of their sin, be saved from the Lord's wrath, and return to the grace of God. They were preaching the gospel message. Repent of your sin, escape the Lord's wrath and return to the grace of God. That's the, that's the gospel message right there. Be saved in the name of Jesus. Repent of your sin. And so they begin to preach the gospel. And look at verse 10. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 10. I'm hurrying. So the couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. And they taught, but they laughed. They scorned and mocked them. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was also on Judah. Give them one heart to do what the king and princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Some people in this day, even when revival hits, you know, Louisiana, some people will come and some people will not. 
Some people will hear and some people will not. Some people will repent and some people will, re- not, will not. Let me tell you this, though. In Matthew, look at my verse, chapter 10, Jesus comes to his disciples and says, Hey, I want you to go to the lost people in the house of Israel. I want you to go from city to city. I want you to re- uh, preach the gospel. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cleanse the lepers. I want you to uh, cast out the devils. And if they receive you, then bless them. If not, shake the dust off your hands and your feet and move on, because it's going to be worse for those people than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember this passage? All right? He starts in the house of God first. Revival starts in the church first. It comes here first. But you know what happened? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus then said, Now go to the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them. Make disciples of them. It came to God's house first. Just like it did in Hezekiah's day. Hezekiah purified the temple first, purified the Levites, the priests, and he went out to the streets just right there in Jerusalem. And then he went to the nation. But if we do not respond to a move of God that He wants to do, He will pass us by, and it will be worse for us that judgment comes first to the house of God. Lord, help us if God begins to want to send us revival, but we're not ready, that we haven't consecrated ourselves waiting for God to move. Lord, help us that, we are, he, that God is not waiting on this church to have revival. But we are saying, God, we don't want to be like the world. We want to be like your church. We're going to pull the things out of our hearts, keep our houses clean. And then that's what happens after this. There was a, a, a nationwide, a citywide revival. After this, Hezekiah in, reinstituted uh, Passover. I'm going quick. I know you guys were listening to worship. But he instituted an uh, annual Passover. So much so, let me just paraphrase this. In chapter 30, it goes on. When he goes out, the circuit riders go out. Man, people start coming in. Some people laugh. Some people push them off. But some people come in. And then they say, all right, it's time to get Passover back. It's time to get the house of God in order. Man, we're having revival. People are coming in. We've got tons of offerings happening here. Man, we don't even have enough priests and workers in the house of God. There's not enough church people. There's not enough deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers. We ain't got enough pastors for all the lost people coming in here. And they begin to move. And they say, all right, people are messed up. Some of these people aren't clean at all. They don't got anything right. They're coming here. They're wearing their pagan clothes. They got their pagan tattoos. They got their pagan rap music on. Their headphones cocking in the church. They got their whatever. But they're bringing a sacrifice on their shoulder. And Hezekiah says, you know what? We are not ready yet. Passover is supposed to happen today, but we're going to push it back a month. That was against the law too. All these religious rules. It was keeping people from getting to God, right? And so he says, or you know what? We ain't got enough priests. You get those priests ready. Let's start working on the priests. We're a month long to get the priests ready. All right, we got a lot more leadership and training going on in here. We got to get some people saved and discipled. So they begin to train the leaders. Push back Passover for a month. And they say, you know what? These people aren't ready. They're not going to be ready. Just let them come on in. And new priests, you ministers, all you extra Levites, you help them get to the altar. And while they can't come and do all the things that they're supposed to do, we're going to make the law. We're going to whitewash that for a little while. And we're until because they're not ready yet, but they Hezekiah bent the rules to let those messed up pagan people come in and bring their sacrifices in chapter 30. And they began to worship God. And it says at the very end, it says that God heard from heaven. God was moved by revival. And when all the religion went out the way and it was people who said, God, we are ready for a move of God. 
Lord, we're ready to let heaven come down. We're cleansing our temples out. God, we know that we don't have it all together. And Lord, we know we've sinned against you. But God, we are worshiping the blood of the Lamb until there's nothing left. God, we're going to be willing sacrifices. And when we get our temples clean and we get revival, God, then it begins to move out. And we're going to send out riders. We're going to send out people to tell the world, God, you need to repent, be saved from the wrath of God, turn to God's grace because He's compassionate. He's a Lord who is, is faithful and just and will can forgive you of all of your sins. And then revival just happened. It just happened. And it was a bunch of messed up people. And they just said, come on in. Come on in. We'll, we'll, we'll even... We'll even hold back this service for a little while till we get everything right. We'll hold back this event for a while till we get all right. We're gonna, we're even gonna, you know, push back the Christmas Eve service for a little bit because we got to get all y'all ready to understand who Jesus is first, and then we'll celebrate Christmas. It was like that radical. We're gonna push Christmas back to January 25th because y'all don't even know how to celebrate Christmas yet because y'all know who Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine if we did that? We just had such a revival this Christmas season that so many lost people were coming in the church. We were like, you know what? We got to hold it. We're going to push Christmas back a month till we get all of y'all understanding what it means to give your life to Jesus. Would that not be awesome? That would be awesome. That would make national headlines. Church celebrates Christmas in December because so many lost people need to know Jesus. Like, I mean, man, that's what happened. And I am the type of person that believes that if it happened once, it can happen again. If it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason for us to read it and apply it to our lives. Amen? Would you stand with me tonight? Worship team, would you come? We want to do this tonight. I know it's a holiday week. I know that it's uh, late. But the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, sorry, 1 John chapter 2, he says, My children, I write you to these things that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we've got an advocate for the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. He's a propitiation, the substitute, the atonement for our sin, not just for ours, but for the whole world. And here's how you know if you know Him. You keep His commandments. You keep His commandments. How do you want to be a holy temple? How do you want to do this? Keep His commandments. Love one another. Love Him. Give your life to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And follow Him. But we want to do this tonight. I'm going to let them go ahead. Anything in our hearts, we just want to begin to take a moment where we cleanse our temples out, let God come in and wipe the cobwebs clean. We want to begin to intercede for God just to worship Him in the blood of the Lamb. We want to begin to sanctify ourselves and just begin to give free will offerings of praise, of thanks, of worship from our hearts. That in that place that God's going to meet you right now in this place, in your temple, in your dwelling place. And that because when we get revival and we get ourselves right, We get sanctified. We get consecrated. You get ready to be a useful vessel. God's going to begin to show up in revival in this community because there are people who are ready, God. There'll be a people who are ready. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing. If you want to come find a place of prayer, I'd invite you.